Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Iodelli Speaks. I just want to jump into this. Um, I I stumbled upon um, a brother, Emmanuel Acho, who is a Fox Sports college football analyst. Um, and he has a show, uh, a YouTube show, however you want it, it's posted on YouTube, um, called uh, Uncomfortable Conversations with Black Men. You know, and so I, I advise you to go and check it out. But there's a few things that just kind of is the word triggered me this morning. And it's this idea of why is it that when we begin to have conversations about race and white men are sitting in the room or at the table, they take this bullshit ass stance. And I, I, def, I call it bullshit stance. I'm here to listen and learn. What the fuck? Right. Like, it's just I'm, I'm just here to listen and learn. So I've seen this in on his show, specifically the uh, I saw it happen with when he interviewed Matthew McConaughey. Right. And then also he had uh, an interracial uh, uh, relationship. Uh, two couples come on. One was a white man with a black woman and the white man pretty much stayed silent the whole time. Right. Or at least the way they edited it that way. And all the questions are always asked of black people. And so when we begin these conversations about race, right, with white men at the table, what often happens is they stay silent and say, I'm here to listen. And then sometimes the white women speak, which is great. But most oftentimes black people end up talking at white people. Right. And it's like you're going to take your talking to. And there is a time and place for that. Don't get me wrong. You know, Bill Burr talked about on his on the Saturday Night Live uh, monologue is like, you know, when he was talking about white women, take your seat next to me and take your talking to. That is appropriate. But then that's also a stance that white men take that get that they try and do to get themselves off the hook from doing any sort of inner reflective thinking and learning in public. That's the biggest thing that I've been talking about these days that is so needed for as we continue to talk about racial equity, closing racial disparity gaps and all this other type of stuff, social injustice, structural institutional racism, right? Is this this idea of I'm just going to sit here and have you talk to me, talk at me. And I know that as a black person, it can be cathartic to unload all this shit and tell them how they're supposed to be thinking. But that doesn't change anything if all you're doing or it doesn't change as much as it can. It doesn't make space for personal reflection. If all we're doing is talking at white people. And so this learning in public for us to to continue to make progress and having people, I guess you would say, awaken, whatever that might be. We have to start seeing white men specifically learn in public they come with so many questions well why don't you try answering them first so one of the things that frustrated me is with the Matthew McConaughey interview on 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 the show uh uncomfortable conversations with black people and Emmanuel Acho one of the things he said Matthew McConaughey's first question and it came from a set of cards so I guess they they set it up as Like, (laughs) here are questions I wanted to ask a black man to tell me what the answers are. And I just thought that if that was how it was designed, the premise was all wrong 
with having a conversation. Because Matthew McConaughey ended up <clears throat> interviewing Emmanuel, which I thought was off. And so Matthew McConaughey's, and I wanted to turn off the video right then when he asked this question, how can I do better as a human, a man as a white man? What the fuck? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious. Like, this question comes, how do I do better as a man? How about you answer that? I'm not, and so, so Emmanuel took that lead and started just talking at him. <laughs> just talking at him. When I'm just like, I would have loved the, the opportunity to say, how about you take a crack at answering that question? How about you show us or reflect in, in public? Right? And in public just means openly. There is no perfect answer. And I feel like we allow white men and women, but I think women are, are, are more, white women are, are, are found more commonly as opposed to white men in spaces or in conversations about race and, and really working through you know, understanding st structural institutional racism, understanding implicit bias, all that other type of stuff. White women, you will find more, more disproportionately represented as opposed to white men. And so they also need to answer these questions openly and have open reflection. But I'm, I'm speaking about white men. Like that question threw me through. The, like if you don't know by now, if you haven't spent time, I'm not here to tell you that. Hell, you can go read 10 million books. You can go watch a YouTube video that tells you how to be a better human. Why don't you answer the question? And so it's just it's so infuriating when we get this opportunity. And what happens is sometimes, and I've done this, in, in conversations, I take the lead to tell them what the learning is. When we know in teaching, when we're leading young people, getting them to reflect on their own learning, their own understanding is what helps us to know the depth and understand where they're going and help them work through it. If we, if white men stay silent and aren't learning in public, how do we know what they're really thinking and feeling? Now, I know that the challenge with all of this is I might make a mistake as a white man. I might say something wrong. So I need to have cards that are ready. I wanna just have questions to ask you and then listen to your response and then reflect on your own response so that I then know what to say. Well, to me, that's that's, that's missing an opportunity to get some authentic thinking. What are you thinking? Because we can't. It's like going to a counselor and saying, like a psychologist and saying, how, how do I get better at doing this? Well, what are they gonna do? Pause. How do you think you're gonna do better? How do you think you're gonna improve? What do you think it means? They are a mirror. They reflect back the same question. And you're given, that's why quality therapy, quality counseling can work because it allows you 
because it, it that is a closed door example of learning in public. That's what I mean by it. it doesn't mean that I'm on Twitter sharing this. It doesn't mean that I'm on a camera. What it means is I am sharing openly reflecting, sharing my thoughts and feelings, no matter how right or wrong they are, uncut, unedited, un just to be able to share because that's when I can hear myself and those thoughts that were back in the recesses of my mind that I only said to myself, the reasoning that I, I made in my own head now comes out and I can hear it. And then I can have a reaction to my own thinking once it's come out, once I've translated into words and it's come out of my mouth. Then people can, it, it also is, a, now I, I know this, that it is a space of great vulnerability. Because now I'm letting you into the inner recesses of my mind to get to really what my conscious is saying and sometimes subconscious is saying. And that's a scary place. It's a scary place for all of us, but particularly for white men, because they don't want to be wrong. They, society has been set up for them to win all the time and to always look good. And if in our current state, if they don't look good, they change the rules as best as possible to make sure that they are advantaged but when you're sharing your true thinking when you're sharing just what is is stream of consciousness now that's a vulnerable place and so white men women should not be allowed to just listen and learn in all situations especially when we're having a conversation conversation means I bring thoughts ideas that I've been struggling with and so this is it. This is what happens is that and, and, and I would say that um, like I have fallen for the bait as a black man to then take that question as a cue to answer for them and not being that mirror. And I believe other black people have taken that. Let me tell you, because we've gone through we are victims of oppression and we want our chance to, to say our piece because we know that that becomes a form of, uh, cath uh, it's cathartic for us, right? But what happens is, is that we give these white people or whoever has oppressed us this talking to, and we might feel better. We might've made some movement, the, but then the person we're talking to is let off the hook because they're not sharing clearly their own thinking. So we're, we as people of color, we as people who are oppressed, me as a black man, I'm learning in public when I share the injustices that I face, the microaggressions that I face, when I share those stories of learning, it is cathartic for me. It has allowed me to reflect and say, is that how I really feel? Is there rational thinking behind that or is that emotional thinking is that you know and I'm able to weigh through that and kind of figure out I go from an initial reaction to then being able to cultivate a response and when white men don't do that in conversations they are missing out they 
are not given the space or pressed to that uncomfortable space of speaking off the cuff. They're allowed to be measured and prepared and equipped for these conversations. When my, that then takes away the opportunity to really know what they truly think and feel and experience. If the N-word comes out in a space where we're talking about race, one, it's gotta be facilitated well, gotta have expert, expert facilitation, but we gotta be able to have a space, a container, what we call at CBV, a brave space protocol, it's a container to unmask. When white men enter the conversation and say, I want here to listen and learn, they aren't given the opportunity or we take the opportunity away from them to unmask if we allow them to sit there silently. Because that unmasking is that revealing of what true thinking is, what true reflection is, what their gut instinct is. Because we can't retrain, if necessary, that instinct that might be killing us unless we know it is there. Right now, as a black person, I can only assume that they have this instinct. But how do they work through it? There's nothing I can do to get them to work through. There's no story I can share. Or the most powerful learning happens when I sit, when they sit and reflect openly. Then we can have a dialogue. Then it becomes a conversation where we're able to have ouch moments. Where I just let me let me just say this. Like, so side note or sidebar. I often say this. This is a position that men find themselves in quite often in relationships with women and forgive me for being heteronormative you know and, and saying like that's the norm but that's that's just my experience right and I talk about this where oftentimes when we get into conversations I, I it's hard for me to really share my true thinking and feelings on things without having backlash or a response from my wife and oftentimes because I cannot get out my thinking and work through it and have space to understand for me to even reflect if it's right or wrong it's shut down and so I don't speak because you know men are in relationships are often shackled by happy wife happy life well sometimes what that's interpreted as is you stay silent give her what she needs and there is some benefit in that there is some truth in that but I realized for me I couldn't work through my bullshit unless I was able to share what my bullshit was unless there was a space that my wife created for me to share very openly so then I could be able to sit there and say oh shit damn that's what I said and I could see her reaction her response to what I say and then she didn't, the, the, the crazy part is she didn't even have to say anything. It's just her physical response to my words caused me to think about the words that came out of my mouth. But then that helped me reorient, reset my thinking around however I was responding. Whatever my instinct was, whatever, whatever I thought was analytical or correct, it helped reset my thinking. 
and shifting me. So there is there is historically a, a piece where men don't have the space to share their thinking, to share their understanding, because you know what? We are idiots at times. We are ignorant. We don't know everything. We don't know the whole truth. Yes, that is correct. That is true for all human beings. But when we're allowed to share what our truth is, however construed or whatever you think of it, then we're able to investigate it. And so when men are kept silent or not given a space to share, it's we lose out on the opportunity to grow as fast or as effectively as we could, as we can. And that's what happens, coming back to our conversation, when white men sit and want to listen, I'm here to listen and learn. And then, so here's the thing. So then they adopt this stance of I'm here to listen and learn. And then white other people, black men, white men, white black women, a lot of times black women, because they, you know, let's just say this. When we're having discussions about race, thank God for black women. They're usually the ones who've coordinated it, put it together. Women are the ones who are in this space more frequently than men. Believe me, I've led conversations. I've participated over the last five years or more. Well, I've facilitated and participated in some really great uh, conversations about race, trainings about um, centering equity and all this other type of stuff. And there aren't that many men in those spaces. And so when we enter those spaces, we often just say, well, I'm kind of, we look around. I'm outnumbered here. So maybe I should just be quiet while I'm here. I know I adopted that stance. I, I'm, I don't see very many other black men in this space, let alone any other men. I think you find more black men in the space than you do space when it's talking about race or conversations talking about race or trainings or workshops. You see more black men than you do white men oftentimes. So if I'm a white man walking in, oh, I'm... I'm not here. I'm, I'm, I'm here to listen and learn. And so we adopt this position. And then what happens is we could end up going through the whole time, this whole workshop, not saying much, but just getting our talking to. This is what you need to be doing. This is how this was my experience. I feel bad because a white man did this. I feel bad because a black man did this. All these other types of things. And then I say to myself, because I've adopted this position, of I'm gonna listen and learn. Now I'm listening and learning and just getting a, a tongue lashing in this space. So why would I wanna come back? Why would I wanna come back in this space? Cause listen and learn, I just feel so bad as I leave. I didn't learn anything. I just learned that, you know, I, I, I might've, I didn't know you were so angry at me or I knew you were angry coming in and this just affirms that. So you know what, I'm gonna stay out of this space. So it is so important for facilitators to understand that that listen and learn position is just one stance that can be taken across many different stances in a workshop, a training, or a conversation. And we have to, and this is why I say expertly facilitated, we have to push past that narrative that allows white men and men in general just to sit silently in a space and listen and only ask questions. As a facilitator, we have to pull them in 
and hold space. And, and I like to say when I used to teach the problems that I thought my class, my kids would have, I centered them into the room at the very beginning. So I would say as a facilitator, it's pretty common for men, specifically white men, to enter this space to want to listen and learn. We are going to encourage you to do that and to speak very openly, reflect. How do we do that? We create community agreements that allow for this container to happen. We use brave space building to allow this unmasking so we can really get to these true thoughts that white men only have on their own, in their subconscious, when they're asleep, when they're walking down the street. We gotta create a space where all people, white men, black men, white women can learn in public. Again, that does not mean standing on the street corner telling random people what I think or my response to a certain situation. No, it's in situations where um, there's a container. There is a brave space that's being built to be able to engage in this conversation one-on-one. -on -one. It happens all the time, as I said earlier, in therapy. It's this, you have this safety bubble, right? To just share and reflect. And so as a facilitator, an expert facilitator, it's important to then hold space and to push all people in that space to grow and learn and learn in public, but it's specifically white men. Holding space for saying, you know, one of the things with the um, San Francisco Coalition of Essential Small Schools, SFSS, they have this workshop called um, iGroup. And it is uh, a group where uh, it's a workshop where people come together um, uh, across many different demographics to begin to engage this conversation around race um, in America and work through their own identity how that plays into their stance and all this other type of stuff. Beautiful, beautiful workshop. Check out their website, SFCESS, S-F-C-E-S-S. Great workshop that's happening. There's some others here in Atlanta. The Create Organization, Create uh, TeacherResidency.org has an equity center, Critical Friendship, also where they do this. But this S, the the SSFSS actually came up with these community agreements that one was notice patterns of participation right so as a facilitator that is an agreement that we create because we want to notice when certain people are silent when certain people are participating more and we as expert facilitators have to make space to bring them into the conversation because we don't want the conversation to be lopsided we don't want or we don't want people to lose out on the opportunities for learning when people stay silent right and don't share their thinking aren't just speaking stream of consciousness so just what's really deep and primal in them comes out in this brave space they walk away maybe not learning as much as they can or or, or having their breakthrough whatever whatever you want to say rewiring right rethinking about what they hold nearest and dear so it's it's it's, it's this as expert facilitators we have to we have to know that this is all at play I remember I was facilitating with some um, here in Atlanta virtually because we, you know, COVID, the world's closed, or at least some people are trying to make the world be closed. Uh, a young white teacher, a novice teacher, male, said, "I'm here to listen and learn," and I, and I said, "Hold, hold the shit, 
Like I almost lost my shit in that moment, right? This, so let me, let me understand, let me help you understand. So the space in which this meeting took place is a professional learning experience. There of uh, 20 novice teachers, 20 teacher candidates, right? And part of the, the, the effort in this space is to, with the Create Teacher Residency, is to um, really have conversations and interrupt practices that, that reinforce and hold up structural institutional racism, uh, prejudice, racial inequities in our classrooms. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out how to engage that, right? So that, that's already a part of our mission statement and also in the objectives that we have. And I told him in this moment, I said, look, dude, you, I said, look, dude, you, in this space right now that we've created, this is the space for you to work through all that stuff you wanted to work through. Hey, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're fine. Um, you, for you to work through all the things, all the questions. We want, we need to see you. You need to learn in public here. And, and, and as I was facilitating this session, I was just like, this has to be said. Because if you are the only white man in a space with predominantly black and brown people, but then a few other white women, there's Latinx folks in the room. This is, and you say you want to work and you're committed to working in schools that serve, uh, that, that reside in communities that have been underserved and are predominantly black and brown in terms of teaching workforce, in terms of staff, in terms of students. You gotta have a space where you're able to talk about these things that come up. You gotta have a space where you can ask a black person a question and we can figure out if it's how to answer it, how to resolve whatever challenges that you have. And so I just had to share that with him because I'm like, we miss out. We miss out. The community of color misses out when you don't share what you're thinking because then we're left to only speculate and, and, and then guess what's happening and use stereotypes and bias to reinforce this when we should really be here. You help push, you white man help push and challenge our own thinking by sharing your thoughts. That's how we end up getting, you know, I've talked a lot about empathy, right? Empathy is uh, the ability to understand and share in the feelings of others. Well, I can't get to a place of understanding or sharing feelings with another unless I know exactly what you're going through, if I, unless I know what you're talking about. And so a place of great empathy is to call to the table, to call in, to invite in white men to share their thoughts. Now, again, I said it's got to be in brave space, but hey, I want it to also be, I, I would love white men to grow to a place where every place is brave because it's no longer being vulnerable. It's no longer a, a weakness. It's now being open. Because I know that I'm working through things. I'm confident enough. I have enough self-assurance that I'm working to get better. I want to share these thoughts and feelings with you all. What I've learned. In a brave space, or maybe not in a brave space, but it begins, I think, in a brave space. And so, you know, it just, it just you know, it... It just really got in my crawl this morning um, watching uh, these, you know, YouTube clips with Emmanuel Acho. I'm so glad that he's having and engaging these conversations. He's done a great number of conversations with. Um, he sat down some uh, 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 members of the 
uh, police department, um, some white officers and was asking them questions. And he did make space to ask direct questions for them to work through what they thought. They were allowed to ask questions back. But the Matthew McConaughey interview just kind of it, it just threw me for a loop because it was, you know, he was interviewing like, what what should my learning be? And we all know that some of the most powerful learning is it comes through experiential and sharing, not telling. What does that thing say? You know, tell me what I need to know and I'll learn 10%. Show me and I'll learn, you know, 50%. Involve me and I'll learn 75%. Let me lead and I'll learn 90%, something like that. I probably butchered that. So we have to move these conversations that we have with white men about race into getting them, preparing them to call them in to say, you can't just sit here to listen and learn. Because again, you know, this happens in a lot of spaces. I was on another call where some people of color, international educators of color were sharing how, you know, they've been mistreated in their jobs and how on job interviews or even before job interviews when they're thinking about applying for certain jobs, white people told them that they wouldn't get it or you know, you have to be a native speaker or don't even apply for that because you don't fit this category. So they were sharing these stories of, of great hurt that they experience as international educators of color. And the whole, this was a, a, a host of 300, you know, uh, Diverse people, international educators, white, black, Latinx, other nationalities were in the room. And you just heard educators of color just sharing these things. And what then happened was all the white people were just listening, right? And in the chat, what are they doing? Go sister, I'm so sorry. Thank you for sharing your story, all this other type of stuff. And I popped in the chat, I said, I'd love to hear from a white person on this call who has been the person who's been the aggressor, who has actually done something similar, maybe not to somebody on this call, but similar to what story has been shown. You were the perpetrator. Chat silent, except for one person. I I really enjoy working with this woman, Dana Watts with International School Services. She said she gave an example of a time when she knows she was the aggressor. She was the perpetrator of this, this hurt, right? And her bias, you know, whatever came through and she shared it very briefly in a sentence. And I said, thank you. That's where we need to get to is a space where white people are sharing their moments of one, being the perpetrator and two, being an ally. Here's how I stood up. So here's when I went wrong. Right. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say it right now, but here's where I went wrong. Here's where my bias came through and I went wrong. Right. But then also the story of here's where I stood up for somebody. Here's where I pushed back and not maybe just stood up for a person of color, but maybe I was in an all white room, all right, you know, leadership. And I pushed back against the policy. Right. Nothing might have happened or something might have might have changed, but I pushed back against the policy. Here's how I did that. I want to start hearing stories like that. That's where true like like I think growth and reconciliation and all those types of things that movement is going to come. White people got to stop being scared and stop staying in this position of 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 
of learn, of listen, you know, I'm going to sit here and listen and learn. We as people of color, as black people, have to be able to give them their talking to, but then also make space for them to share. And so what does it then take for a person of color, a black man, to sit and listen to a white woman ask the question? Because we, because we have to be, we have to be ready. We as people of color, we as black, I've, as a black man entering a conversation, about race, I have to be ready for what's to come and know and have set intentions. Are my intentions are to read the riot act and just run over this person? Or my intentions are to really make space to hear what they're thinking and have conversations around what a white person is thinking. So I got to be prepared. So what work do I need to do to have confidence, to be able to know that I can hear anything unscripted, unprepared can come out of their mouth. And how can I navigate that? How can I be so in control of my emotional health? What can I do? How do I stay balanced? How do I still stay present? I was in a training session a few summers ago and this one white teacher, young white teacher, novice meaning new to the profession, asked, well, but why can't I say the word nigga? I'm not saying nigger. I'm saying nigga. It's in music. Why can't I use it? Man. <laughs> I stepped back and said, here we go. Because I saw the room. I read the room. Oh my gosh, that triggered so many people, unfortunately. That triggered so many black people in that space. <laughs> That triggered. Now we were with this. This was a, a a a training where we were really engaging conversations about race and equity and education and things like that. We were we were there to to censor this. So that's what we were there to for was to engage in this conversation. And this question come up. The room blew up. Black a few black women started crying. A few other people of color, Hispanic you know, Latinx were like, huh, they were disgusted. And I just sat there was like, honestly, my reaction was, if I remember back, hopefully it's not revisionist history, but if I remember back, it was like, I'm so glad she said that. Cause now we about to begin some work. Now we're about to begin some work because I was like, I don't know if it was her I know, naivety in the moment in the place she was at, but she was like, I'm, I want to believe she was like, she, it might've been an ignorant statement, but her ignorance allowed her to be open to learn in public. And all the black folks were like, I can't believe she said that. And I said, I thank you for saying that because if you, I felt like for me personally, I felt like if you as a black person ain't ready to hear that, then you shouldn't be in these conversations or you have more work to do because it's what it's. That question is what a lot of white people have on their minds. But because we don't make space for it, because we say you need to sit here and take your talking to, we don't get a chance to get down and allow them to ask what we might think are ridiculously stupid questions. But what better place to engage in conversations around stupid questions than in a space that's discussing racial equity? that's discussing inequities in education. What, where else? Sure. She could have did some more work before she got into the room, but she's in the room. And, and I felt like 
during that workshop, it was four days, four full days. I felt like it pushed, I was a facilitator in that workshop. It pushed us as facilitators on how to hold the space for that shit to go down. Like we were, we had to regroup and, and us facilitators are cross race, cross gender, cross uh, uh, gender identity and all this other type of things, right? It was intentionally designed that way. And it pushed us because we started that, that, you know, black people notice, but it's that eye contact, you know, like you start triangulating around the room like, oh shit, okay, here we go. We're going to earn our money over these four days because this happened day one. We're going to earn our money. And then we had to, it pushed us and it pushed everybody in the room to say, but why is that a trigger for me? What, what, what work do I need to do? Because if I say I'm going to be for a social justice warrior, right? A racial equity warrior. And I have conversations like this and I get triggered and that triggering takes me out of my prefrontal, my most thinking creative space, my most logical space. It takes me back to this primal place, right? The, uh, where my, and, and where my amygdala is and where my survival state is, right? That fight, flare, freeze. I'm no longer in a place where I can facilitate or engage in this. That is necessary. That trigger is important. It keeps us alive. It lets us know that something else is not right. It lets us know that uh, uh, there's been a shift in the environment. That's great. But then we also got to know, is it going to put, put us in our most learning state? And so I talked to other black folks, you know, uh, after this, well, while this was happening and, you know, talking with them about how to, how to navigate their thinking. And some were upset at me. It was like, how can you not be upset? I said, well, cause that doesn't trigger me because I, 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 I kind of assume that that's a question that white people have and don't get a chance to ask it. And what better place to ask it, you know, morning. And so, I mean, Sidebar, like I, I equate it to like one of the things that's been happening in education. We know it's a political season or it's just about over. Well, whatever, it's never over, but the election has concluded. There are schools that banned any conversation about politics, high schools that banned any conversations about the 2020 elections and even the 2016 elections because it was so contentious. It was so divisive. And I was like, wait, but this is a school. If, 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 if we can't be a space, a brave space for people to have conversations, then what are we saying about our institution? What are we actually preparing them for? If we're saying that you can't have conversations about Trump, you can't have conversations. If you're like, if you're just saying that and not providing a space for this to be held, it's like, we're just not going to do it because it's just too contentious. To me, that shows your insecurities and your unpreparedness to engage. And so that tells me there's a lot more work that the school leaders have to do to prepare. So if, if, if schools aren't giving students the place to learn in public, what are we then reinforcing? What are we re we're reinforcing? Stay silent. Keep your ideas to yourself. But then how, how, how do we ever get to a place where ideas get challenged, where we grow, deepen our understanding, strengthen the muscle of personal reflection, strengthen the muscle of having difficult conversations? Where do we grow then? We got them for eight hours a day, 160, 180 days a year. 
and you telling me we can't engage in the most critical conversations that are out there. That's bullshit. That's not a school that's worth the salt. I wouldn't send my kids there. Now, I full 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 disclosure, I ended up working at that school. I left before the next election came, but I was just like, I know that for within my power of control, what I could do is we had those conversations in my classroom. We had those conversations. When they came back and things just didn't sit well in my kids' minds and they wanted a space to have a conversation, we had that conversation. Because I was like, that's my fucking job. That's my number one fucking job as a teacher is to create space to learn, them, to allow them to learn in public allow, and help them navigate. I don't care if I don't, I thought I didn't agree with half of what they said. That's not my job. My job is to create a space and share and help them reflect and present research and information that helps expand their thinking. That's my job. Fuck the goddamn content. That's what we're there to learn. It's how to be critical thinkers, how to reflect, how to bring out what's most primal in ourselves and put it on the table to allow people to investigate it. Allow myself to investigate it. That's what I'm there to do. I don't care. I'm a math teacher. You might say that has nothing to do with math. Bullshit. I'm a teacher, first of all. I create spaces for learning to happen. And I know that learning doesn't always come through me standing in front of them. It actually comes from me being a facilitator where I can disappear. I can fall back into the fold and allow the class to do the learning together. What is an educational institution if it's not doing that? It's just preparing people to represent, to, to, re, to, 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 to represent or to, what's the word? To, to replicate oppression. Because that's what schools were designed to do. So all these schools that have this day of dialogue, all this other type of stuff, but yet they aren't capable of holding a space for kids to really investigate. This is why this whole idea, this whole idea of kids, some kids during Halloween time, school, school people get scared. School leaders get scared, especially white school leaders of kids in public. They, you know, especially those who are like white liberal institutions that are actually funded by an anti-liberal agenda. Let's be honest, where their money comes from aren't always in support of those ideas, but the anti-liberal, whatever you want to say, right? This greed-based, let me just be specific. This greed-based economy that takes advantage of the disenfranchised and keeps leveraging every penny of them, that's the fucking money that sponsors these schools. But these schools say, we're for everybody. We want to create an inclusive environment, all this other type of stuff. But if you're not teaching kids on a daily fucking basis, if your educators don't know how to hold these conversations, haven't been pushed to deepen their own thinking, to have a space for open reflection, we're doing kids a disservice and we're only reproducing crime. We're reproducing moments of harm. So, then what happens is when we go to school, we learn. So back in 2016, excuse me, 2008, when I heard about, you know, that the you know election of Obama and, and all this other type of stuff was happening, so contentious. What did those kids learn when their school leaders said, we're not going to talk about this. 
We're not going to engage in conversation around it. It's just shut down. It's just a no-go. Eliminate. You get in trouble if you talk about it. What are we then saying? What are we saying? Not to the kids of color, because that's something. We always lean on that. What are we saying to white kids? You can stay protected in this space. Your thinking, no matter what it is, no matter how potentially incorrect it might be, is protected here. We are not an institution of learning. We are an institution of conditioning. Conditioning to believe that you don't, your thinking doesn't need to be challenged, that it won't be held up, that it won't be put on the glass, that you won't be pressed forward. We are reinforcing that when we shut people down, when schools aren't ready to engage in those conversations. Now, school is so broad. When the principal, assistant principal, dean of students, and the faculty and staff aren't all prepared with some sort of structure to engage in conversation like that, we are reproducing crimes against humanity. That's what's happening. And so to bring this back around to white men taking the position of I'm going to listen and learn, they learn that from us. They learn that from our schools because they've been allowed to just sit there and listen and learn for so long and keep all their ideologies stuck inside of it. Just, it's like it's a one way. It's a one way revolving door. Just stuff coming in, 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 coming in. And they're allowed to pick and choose what they believe. They're being socialized to stay quiet and pick and choose what they believe. And then it's reinforced that it's OK what they believe. We 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 vicariously say it's okay for you to believe what you believe when we allow people to sit there silently and not share what they're thinking and not share what their instincts are we say that we are the word isn't vicariously it's we are creating space that affirms that it's okay for them to sit there in that space with that thinking especially when something comes up and it just gets shut down right away so we got to push back against this idea of I'm here to listen and learn. That's a cop out. As facilitators, I don't I don't think that this because this has been socialized into white men, they are not going to willingly know how to navigate past that statement. I'm here to listen and learn. As facilitators, white, black, whatever, however you identify. It is our job to know that that is going to, that is the stance that they've been socialized to believe and we have got to go against that if we're gonna make any progress in these conversations about racial equity, about educational inequities that are happening in our school systems, in our schools, in our classrooms every single day. One person that I, that I wanna raise up that, while I haven't got to know him personally, he, he works here in Atlanta, um, a white man who's taught in uh, predominantly black, so he's taught at Mays High School, and I think he's now at a middle school in Atlanta, a predominantly black community in which the school resides in. His name is Jay, Jay Wanstead, or Wait, Waystead, Wanstead. Look him up on Twitter. He's got a, uh, he's got a TED Talk where he talks about being a white man teaching black students and teaching, I think he teaches history. And just kind of his struggles being the only white guy in the building. Now, I really appreciated hearing his story. That was the first time I heard his story as being a white educator working in a predominantly black and brown school that's serving predominantly black and brown families that are he's working in colleagueship with black and brown people. And he on Twitter really shares his thinking and pushes back, right? And I wanna get into a learning space with Jay, 
right? Not just me and him, but I just, I want to I want to get into. I'd love to just have a one on one conversation, but I want to get into a learning space with him and bring him into other learning spaces where white men can then not to say that everything Jay has to say is is truth and is God, but it is his experience. And he has the confidence and self-awareness to be able to share his thinking and put it in context and share his learning. That's what needs to be modeled. Because learning is learning. Learning means when that's happening, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to feel something stupid. I'm, I'm going to also have the opportunity to say something really great and have a moment of like, oh, oh. And a, 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 a diabolical shift in thinking could happen to where now I'm no longer thinking my position is to listen and learn. I know that my position is to share. I'll close with this. Thank you for bearing with. I'll close with this. It was interesting that the one training that, you know, I told you that I was in, that I was facilitating where this teacher, you know, white woman asked, well, why can't I say the word nigga? There was so much learning that happened for me. But I remember I had a colleague, Joe, co-facilitated with her. She, she like, I co-facilitator I'm like under like way under like I still got a lot to learn and I remember I told her that I don't even know why I'm here as a black man I don't, I don't know why I don't feel prepared or ready to lead these conversations to engage in this stuff. I don't know what my role is and it's interesting because Joe 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 scoffed she was like what your first of all your presence says a lot but then also all you need to do is share your story you have got to be in a space to share your story because one your story is very unique one is very thought-provoking and the other you spend time reflecting on different things in ways that I can't reflect and with you in a space taking a role as facilitator you're, you bring that to the table and we gain, it is a gift to all of us when you share your thinking, right or wrong, whatever you're working through, because you talk about you're working through so much and just modeling that learning in public is so powerful for people. Because as I said at the beginning of this podcast, the space, the conversation that are led and facilitated and about race are usually women engaging in this conversation with a few men of color, with even fewer white men, if any at all. And she was like, your presence and facilitation, your presence is helping me to learn more, to learn about how you are interpreting. And it's not how you're, how all black men are interpreting, but it gives me a chance to hear from one black man and I was just like, after she said that, I was just like, dang, <laughs> okay, this is a white woman telling me. She was the one welcoming, telling me I had a place in this space. And, and I take that as a charge to tell other people, specifically white men, you have a place in this space. You have a place in this conversation and you need to sit rightfully at it and grow the skills and the tools which we can help you with to engage in conversation, 
to not just, it's not a conversation when you're there to sit, learn, and just ask questions and not give and not give your response to them. So that's, so everybody has a place in this work. Black men, black women, white men, men, we have a place in this work. We have a place in holding space for these conversations to engage. Whether you facilitate or not, if you are a participant, if you are a person, a human, a male, get into these conversations. Make sure brave space is being created and held. But even if it's not, you, I want to encourage you to, to have an agreement with yourself that you are going to commit to learning in public. That's how we grow, right? With our kids, we teach and then we give them a test. And that test, they're able to share what their thinking is. This is why in mathematics, we always like, show your work. I want to know what your thinking is. We do that all the time. But yet we let men, specifically white men, off the hook in these spaces. We deny them the opportunity to show their learning, to show their thinking. And we got to push against that, listen and learn. So men, it is our job to walk into these spaces sincerely, humble as possible, but also being a full participant. That means listen, learn, ask questions, and answer those questions. Share your true thinking. Let it out there. Let the room have it so that we can begin to work on that. And facilitators, we got to make space for that. We got to know that that's how men, white men, have been socialized to enter these spaces, to sit quietly and take their talking to. We've got to push back against that and invite them in and then work with our group to make sure that they understand that we're trying to hold space for everybody, specifically white men, to share. So that's our job, too, as facilitators, is not to hold people of color black, black people back, you know, black women back. It's not the whole, it, 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 this is where the expertise comes in. It, it, it's creating agreements, structures, which allow for different voices to come forward consistently that are different from just raising your hand and talking in a group, right? This is why I love, I thought I was going to end. This is why I love the school reform initiative and the protocols that they've developed. These protocols for, to have uh, productive forward thinking conversations, right? That build trust, build community, and actually lead to school improvement, to lead to improvement, betterment, because they're, they're focused on educational equity and excellence. So we got, we got to have these different structures. This is why it's important for you to be an expert facilitator because you can't just say, hey, what do you think about this question? There's different structures where you can give people think time and then journal time and then put them in small groups where they will share on a timer. There's so many different ways to have these conversations that don't just me sitting around a circle, raising your hand and answering a question. But that's the problem. That's what we think is this, this, this Eurocentric norm is, let's just sit man to man, woman to woman, person to person and talk when it's not always that easy. There's a power dynamic that expert facilitation interrupts. That's what it is. There's a power dynamic that expert facilitation and protocols interrupt that help there be an equity of voice, that help bring people in. I didn't say equality. It's an equity of voice where necessary because there's some places in a conversation where people of color need to stay silent and let the white folks speak. We shouldn't get equal airtime in here. Got to hear from you. So anyway, so I guess, I guess this is 
you know, I don't know what the title of this, this episode is, but I, I thank you for, for listening and, and hearing me in this time on this walk um, to really talk about, you know, listen and learn and how that is a deadly we all lose or we don't gain as much as we possibly could individually or collectively when people hold that stance, when white men hold that stance. Thank you again for listening to uh, this is another episode of, I, of Iodelli Speaks. I'm Iodelli Harrison. Please like, subscribe, share, leave your comments below. I'd love to hear from white men who said, yep, I've adopted that position or nope, I've pushed back against that position. Whether you agree with me or not with, you know, everybody, whether you agree with me or not, I want to hear your comments. Share this. Let's keep the dialogue going until our next episode. Peace out.